0: amen good morning and thank you so much for the opportunity to even be here I've already thanked Jason profusely and uh, let me just say that uh, you folks have been about the nicest people I have ever met. Uh, um, I've served in a number of churches. I've been to a number of churches, and uh, just the warm and kind greeting that I received from so many of you uh, just a few minutes before the service has been such a blessing to me. And so uh, I applaud you, and I thank you for that. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. As was mentioned, my name is Josh Kubler. Uh, I am an associate pastor at Redeemer Baptist. We meet at the Olive Branch Middle School Auditorium. Uh, We used to be a church plant, but we've been around for about eight years now, so we're not really a church plant anymore, uh, even though we do still have to set up and tear down on a weekly basis. Uh, But the Lord has been so good and so gracious to us, and so good and gracious to me to allow me to uh, serve in my role, which allows me to to go and fill pulpits uh, to help serve other churches when uh, the opportunity arises, when the need arises. And so, uh, as I said, I am blessed. And honored and thankful to be here. And I want to read this morning from Acts chapter 1. The message this morning is the commission of the church. The commission of the church. Why this message as I was talking to Pastor Jason, we were talking about um, just the need Uh, throughout our Christian lives to understand and to recognize and to remember that we are the church and we are called to a purpose. And so we wanted to, to look at the text this morning, look at the scripture this morning and remind ourselves, call ourselves once again to the purpose. Not that any of us don't know it, not that any of us have forgotten it, but we always are in need of Biblical, scriptural reminders as to what Christ has commissioned us to do. As Christians, our heart is for the gospel to go forth. That is our desire. Here at home, nationally, internationally, we recognize that there are two eternal things in this world, the word of God and the souls of men. And so our churches actually share a mission statement to know Christ and to make Christ known. How do we know Christ? We know Christ through his inspired word. That's how we know him. We hold the Bible highly. And how do we make Christ known? We tell the world about him. Amen. We should want to be about those two things. It's why we should pledge Place such an emphasis on the preaching of the Word of God and the reading and the studying of the Word of God and why we should continually be challenged to share the Gospel. And so we come to Acts chapter 1 in just a bit of context that you probably already know, but Jesus has died. He has been buried for three days. He has risen, defeating Satan, sin, and death once and for all. He has ministered since that point, appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. He has taught, he has exhorted, he has commanded, he has proclaimed, and these are the last recorded words we have from Jesus before his ascension. Acts chapter one, if you would read with me in verses four through eight. And while staying with them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that this morning you would speak to our hearts through your word that this would not be my message, that this would not be Josh the guest preacher coming in, Lord, but that we would hear from Christ through your word. God, that we would be challenged and changed by your spirit, God, that there would be encouragement and conviction and hope and help that only comes from you. And we ask and pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we consider the commission of the church, I think a groundwork that we want to have, because there's a twofold commission that we see. That twofold commission is this: it's exhibit the kingdom, display the kingdom of God, and proclaim the kingdom. So, in order to get to that point, what we need to do is make sure we understand what the kingdom of God is. Because that was the essential question that the disciples were asking Jesus here in verse 6. They said, Jesus, is it, is it now? now? Is now the time that you're going to establish the kingdom, give the kingdom back to Israel? Is it, are we here now? They didn't understand fully what Christ had been preaching. They were still looking for this cultural kingdom. They were still looking for this political power. They were expecting Jesus to take a literal throne, to wear an actual crown, to command his people, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick and the lame, to defeat all the bad guys. That's what they were expecting Jesus to do right then and there. In fact, there were rabbinical teachings in this time that said that the restoration of Israel's political fortunes would be marked by revived activity of God's Spirit. So here's Jesus talking about the Spirit coming and helping. They had to remain in Jerusalem because God was going to send the Spirit and that they would have power through the Spirit. And so they're thinking, oh, well, if the Spirit's coming, that means that Israel's going to be back on top. But that's not what the kingdom of God is. It is not the physical here and now, but instead it is a spiritual reality. You see, the disciples, they wanted Roman authority overthrown. They wanted Israel returned to its glory days. But Jesus is ushering in a different kingdom that is a better kingdom. And to understand the kingdom, we have to have a, a framework, an understanding of the state of the world. And so we have to go back to the very beginning, which I know you're familiar with. But let's understand the full context here because God creates. He makes everything. Six days, he says it's all good. And everything is good. As Adam and Eve are there in the garden living in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with the world that they've been commissioned to subdue, to have dominion over, and to care for, and to expand. Everything is great until the serpent shows up. And what does he do? He instills doubt. Did God really say that if you ate of this fruit from this tree that you would die? Because I say that if you eat of that, you can actually be like God. And Adam and Eve believed the lie that every person who has been born since has ended up believing. Questioning did God really say and following our desire to be like God ourselves. And so everything that was perfect and everything that was good and everything that was right was broken. And for centuries, that's how it remained, completely and totally and fully broken. And then, some 2,000 years ago, the Bethlehem evening, A child is born who is not merely a child. He is Christ the King. Fully God, fully man, the Messiah who had been promised, the one of whom it was said would make all those wrong things right again. And when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, think about what happens. Think about the places that Jesus goes. Where Jesus goes, those who are suffering from the ailments of sin, sickness, disease, they're healed. It's made right. Those who are suffering from the oppression and the injustice of sin, the hungry, they're fed. Those who are suffering from the ultimate stain of sin, death, they are brought to life. So Jesus' ministry... It's about undoing the wrong that has been done by sin. What Jesus' ministry is doing is giving us a picture of the kingdom of God. The renewal of all things that have been broken. So Jesus is displaying this to the world. All the wrong things will be made right. There's an author named Sally Lloyd Jones who writes this. She says, All the sad things will come untrue. I love that. That's the beauty of what Christ does in making all things new. All the sad things come untrue, all the broken things will be mended. This is not a political ideal, but a spiritual reality. Think about what is the appeal of the new heavens and the new earth that we see in Revelation. It's not the streets of gold. It's the fact that there will be no sin, no shame, no pain, no sorrow, no tears. None of the things that we suffer and endure in this fallen and broken world. That is the kingdom. And Jesus' ministry was a preview of that kingdom. And that commission has been passed on to the church. Those things that Jesus did in his ministry have been passed on to the church. My brother and fellow pastor, Ben Williams, who was already referenced this morning, loves to tell our people over and over again that we, the church, are the continuation of, of the incarnation. You got that? We are the conti- So Jesus who was incarnated, who was made flesh, came to live among us, served and loved and died for us. The church now is the continuation of Jesus' ministry. That's what we exist to do and that's what we have been commissioned to do. And so, firstly, we in our commission from Christ are to exhibit the kingdom. We are to be a display of the kingdom. Now, oftentimes when we think about witnesses, which Jesus says that we are here, we are going to be his witnesses. When we think about witnesses, we think about verbal testimony, right? Like standing on a stand or sitting on a stand and giving a verbal testimony to a court. And that's true. Witnesses absolutely give verbal testimony. But there is something more and beyond that because we as witnesses also give visible testimony. We give verbal testimony, which we'll talk about in just a minute, but we also give visible testimony as to who Christ is and what he has done. We are not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also, right? Think about credible witnesses at a trial. If there was a trial and they called me to speak on some DNA evidence... I could read all the books I wanted to, but when I got up there, they'd say, this is Josh Kubler, he's a pastor, he's gonna talk to us about this DNA evidence. Is anybody gonna listen to me? No, why would they? (laughs) I don't know anything about DNA. But you call a scientist who has devoted his life to the study of DNA as a a DNA witness, guess what, that's a credible witness that people are gonna listen to. So I may say the same things he does, but I don't have any background in it, I don't have any real understanding of it. It's just words off a page. So brothers and sisters, we are to be visible testimonies as well as giving verbal testimonies. Are we credible witnesses? There are two means by which we are able to exhibit the kingdom. The first is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, once more. Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He was referring to, of course, Pentecost. As the disciples are gathered in the upper room praying, wondering what's next, unsure of how to continue without Christ. And suddenly, the Spirit is sent and rests on them with tongues of fire, the Scripture says. And they go out and they are speaking to people in their own languages and sharing the gospel. Peter preaches on the steps of the temple and thousands are saved. This incredible, incredible movement that is empowered by the Spirit of God. So how do we exhibit the kingdom? First of all, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Paul reminds us, do you not know that you are God's temple and that the God's spirit dwells in you? So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to Christ, surrendered of yourself, then the spirit lives within you. His presence is there. John 16, 7, Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus gives this incredible truth that's kind of unbelievable to us. He says, listen, it's better that I'm not physically here and that my spirit is living inside of you. Yeah. We don't often think that way, but that's what Jesus told us. We often think, oh, I just wish Jesus was here. I do wish Jesus was here. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus has said, look, it's even better for you now because I'm not just beside you or in front of you or over here, but I live within you through the spirit. Now what does this have to do with exhibiting the kingdom? Isaiah 32, 14 through 18, the prophet writes this, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation. In secure dwellings. And in quiet resting places. So this, there's this picture of desolation. Of fallowness. Of brokenness. And he says, but then the spirit will come. And it changes everything. Just like the pockets of wrong that were made right where Jesus ministered, we see the ministry of the Spirit through believers has the same effect. Righteousness, justice, peace. How is this possible? Not just through the presence of the Holy Spirit, but also through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse Eight, that first portion there says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What kind of power? It seems like sort of a generic term. Like maybe we're thinking about the power to raise the dead, or the power to speak to others in their language, or the power to preach a sermon where thousands get saved. What is this power that's been promised through the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, pay attention, this is what he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Listen to what he says next. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is the power that we receive in and through the Holy Spirit. Now, it may not be the power that you were thinking of. You may have been wanting some of that other power that you see in the New Testament. But Paul is promising you a better power, the power to know God's love for you. Now, that may not sound great to you. I know God loves me. I wouldn't be here if I didn't know God loved me. But it's not something that we could ever naturally understand or appreciate. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones uses this example and I'm going to I'm going to edit it a little bit to my own life. I have five kids. 75221. Pray for me. Okay. <laughs> so Abraham is my youngest son. He's 2. He'll turn 3 in May. And Abraham is a big helper. Like He loves helping. He wants to do the things that dad does. He wants to do whatever. Like He helps me empty the dishwasher. He'll go do things with me. He loves helping. And he's a happy kid. And so we'll, we'll walk up. We'll take the trash up to the road. Or we have kind of a long driveway. Or we'll go get the mail together. And he's just walking beside me. Just being a two-year-old. Smiling. Just hanging out with dad. And that's great. He's happy. But. Something changes if I just turn around and I scoop him up and I hug him tight and I kiss him on the cheek, I say, I love you, buddy. I love you so much. And that smile goes from here to here. And he's laughing and he is giggling and he is so happy in that moment and feels so secure in the loving arms of his father and listen that pales in comparison to the security and love and hope and peace and comfort we find in this love from God when i set that boy down he could take on a pack of wolves he's ready To know the love of God. To understand. Not not just to know that God loves us, but to know that we are, this this is the incredible thing about the love of God, to be fully known, right? And still fully loved. So whatever it is that you are most deeply ashamed of in your life, that you would be embarrassed to even whisper to the person sitting next to you. God knows that. And he loves you more deeply than you could imagine. There is no greater security than that, brothers and sisters. That is the power of the Spirit. We can understand that because on our own we will never grasp that. But God, by his grace in giving us the Spirit, helps us to see it. And there is no greater security. The power that gives you is the power not to live for yourself any longer. The power that gives you is to be free from your personal wants and desires and insecurities and prideful wishes. The power that gives you is to be holy and fully devoted to the one who loves you like that because he's the only one that deserves that devotion. And, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I, this sounds good. Like, I do think we should probably display the kingdom and exhibit the kingdom in our lives. Like, I think that's something we should probably do, but I don't, it sounds hard. Like I look at Jesus's life, it's, it's, I can't do that. I, I look at the lives of, of people that I really respect and look up to and, and I don't know if I can get to that point. Maybe I don't know enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm still fighting and battling this sin on a regular basis, or I have an anger issue, or I'm impatient, or whatever the case may be. You're thinking of these reasons why it's difficult for you to exhibit the kingdom. You think, I can't do it. And I am here today to reassure you that you are absolutely right. You can't do it. You can't. But that's why he sent his spirit. That's why the presence of the spirit dwells within you and why his power flows through you. Because you cannot do this on your own. You will never exhibit the kingdom well in your own efforts. And so instead of trying harder, Because that's what we often resort to. I have to try harder. I have to do this better. I have to try these things and do these things and accomplish these things. Instead of trying harder, could I instead challenge you to die harder? To forsake yourself. To forsake your desires. To forsake your expectations. Because what what does Christ tell us? if anyone would follow after me, what does he have to do? First thing, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Don't try harder to follow Jesus. Die to yourself harder and you will follow Jesus. Deny yourself. Death to self is surrender. It's surrendering, saying, okay, I can't do this. I can't accomplish this. I can't reach these things. I am surrendering myself, acknowledging that my effort will never be enough. And the beauty of the gospel is that it doesn't have to be. What Martin Lloyd-Jones was talking about is the utter joy and security found in the Father that there's no other way for you to live freely. When the Spirit's power to recognize that love for us rests within us, the result can be an unencumbered, Spirit-filled life. So where there are believers, the presence of the Spirit resides, where the power of the Spirit is flowing. The local church is a gathering of believers, so that's this place, we should see these Pockets of kingdom activity and kingdom ethic and countercultural kingdom selflessness. The exhibit, exhibiting the kingdom in the local church and through the local church. So you see, all those blessed be people that Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes... In Matthew, we see the poor in spirit and the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the peacemakers and the pure in heart and the persecuted, but not in some self-righteous spiritual hypocrisy. It only happens when we die to ourselves in spirit-led, cross-bred submission, overwhelmed in the love and security we have in Christ. Amen. Do you want to see God's work in and through you? Yes. On an individual level, do you want to see God's work in and through your church? Yes. Stop trying and start dying to yourself. Let his power th- flow through you. Amen. So the church is to exhibit the kingdom but it's also to proclaim the kingdom. Verse number eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we talked about there's a visible testimony we give exhibiting the kingdom, but this is the verbal testimony. You can't be a witness if you don't give a verbal testimony, if you don't actually speak what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you know to be true. There's some uh, interpretive debate about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. But really, there's, this is a road map of the book of Acts. I know that Jason preached through this not too long ago, he told me. But chapters 1 through 7, it's ministry in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 11, there's all Judea and Samaria. Chapter 12 through 28 is to the ends of the earth. The, the gospel goes forth to the Gentiles and beyond. And what we see in this commission, above and beyond anything else, is that the gospel is for everyone, everywhere, here, there, everywhere. And so first of all, we are to be witnesses at home, we're to be witnesses at home, Acts 4.33 We see the apostles do this, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They were empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the good news. Not just the apostles, not just the first century church, but you here today. The same Spirit resides in you. The same commission has been given to you. We tend to have this skewed idea of missions, unfortunately. That, that it only counts as missions if you pack up and go somewhere. Or these, this elevated view of missionaries. I'm, I love missionaries. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the call that God has placed on their lives. But if we think that they are these super Christians who take the gospel to the bush of Africa, when we could never do anything like that, then we are limiting the same Spirit that resides in us, that resides in them. God has indeed sent you. He's just sent you here. You are to be witnesses here. You are to exhibit the kingdom here. As a visible testimony, you are to proclaim the kingdom here. Fairhaven Baptist Church exists because of this. Because of the faithfulness of saints sharing and proclaiming the gospel, coming together, beginning a church that gathered, that has done ministry for years and years and years. Our church exists because of this. Not because we are called to go to Southeast Asia, but because we are called to go to Olive Branch, Mississippi. To faithfully proclaim the word of God. To faithfully exhibit the kingdom of God. We are to be witnesses at home. And we are absolutely also supposed to be witnesses abroad. Isaiah 49.6, the prophet writes this. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And of course, the great commission of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, Never forget this promise. Don't look at this as secondary in the Great Commission. Don't forget it because of what comes before. Behold, I am with you always. How is he with you always, even to the end of the age? Through his spirit, which dwells within you, empowering you to exhibit the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom. This is the commission that you and I have been given. So from the plains of Kenya to the slums of Kandahar to the beaches of Havana and the high rises of Beijing, we are to take the gospel across the street, around the world, exhibiting Proclaiming the kingdom of God. This morning, brothers and sisters, we're going to have a time of response. And I want you to consider. You have been commissioned by Christ and his word to exhibit the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, both at home and abroad. Those of us who have not done that, this time of response is your opportunity to repent, to recognize that God has called you to something and that you haven't done it. But the beauty and glory of that we find in Christ is that it is never too late. Yesterday is yesterday. It's gone and it's over. But tomorrow's not here yet. You can make every change you need to today. It's an opportunity to recognize and to repent to trust in that love and security that we have in Christ and to ask him to work in and through us by the power and presence of his spirit. Ask him, Lord, how can I exhibit your kingdom this week? Ask him, Lord, who can I proclaim your kingdom to this week? In your church, in your neighborhood, among your family, your coworkers, even strangers, Lord, give me the opportunity and the boldness to proclaim your kingdom to those far from it. Trust in the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that he is still raising people from death to life. And he can use you. He will use you. Can you pray that in boldness and faith this morning? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, whether it's your first time being here or maybe you've been here for a very long time, and you recognize and understand suddenly, I've never, that spirit that you're talking about, that has never been inside of me. You can be saved today. You can be a part of this kingdom today. You can experience true love, and mercy, and grace, and acceptance, and change, you can recognize that your sin is contributing to the brokenness in your life and everywhere around you, and you can repent. That means just to turn from it. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am fallen. I failed you. To place your faith and your trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross to save you from those sins that he can make you right, that he can make you whole, and that he can use you for the sake of his kingdom here and now. The God of the universe wants to use you for your good, for the good of others, and to bring himself glory. What greater calling could there be? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the commission that you have given us. It can seem daunting and honestly impossible. And may we know and understand and embrace that apart from your spirit, it absolutely is. But Lord, this morning, would we find encouragement <coughs> and hope? in the fact that you have not left us alone, but that you have indeed sent your spirit, that you have indeed empowered us through him to exhibit your kingdom and to proclaim your kingdom. God, would you graciously move in our hearts and lives. Do not allow us to settle, but help us to yearn for fullness of God, change us and use us for your kingdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.